Hello, everyone, and thank you for joining us for this episode of Threat Talk. I'm your host, Bob Hansman, and today we're going to talk about a recent Forrester Research Report entitled 2020 Visibility Clarifies Network Security. Now, it focuses on a blind spot in many organizations today where our networks support many more devices than they do users. Um, and in a world where so many of our tools are historically focused around the user uh, with the human focus security and the human element messaging and so forth going around, threat actors are looking at ways to leverage everything from security cameras and BYOD to industrial control systems. Now, but this problem isn't just for security. It also affects the networking team, which is where this report comes in. So we've invited back our resident network guru, Bob Rose, senior PMM at Infoblox, to talk about some of the more interesting findings in this report. Thanks for coming back again, Bob. Oh, thanks, Bob. It's great to be back um, and talk about this really important primary research study from Forrester Research um, on how network visibility really um, can help improve security um, integration and security response overall. Yeah, and I'm really excited to have you on this because you work with Forrester on this report. Even though you're the networking expert, that's where they were focusing, but they were looking at the security value of this. So um, this stood out, though, first of all, because I read through the whole report. It is a security report, but it it doesn't talk about EDR, next-gen firewalls, and all those other cool technologies that so many other reports are are talking about focusing on, you know, those are buzzwords that you're supposed to have in a security report. And they don't do that in, in this report. They're talking about, um, or they take it a little bit below that level. They aren't talking about any specific products. They're just talking about network data, visibility, and information that helps security. Um, and it's really important because the networks today are not just desktops, laptops, and servers. There's so much more on them. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, this is, and I want to just touch on one thing you just mentioned a moment ago. You said, you know, um, the security report, and and really this Forrester report is interesting because it isn't just a security report. It, it's more how networking and security teams can and really need to work together to deliver a more secure experience for organizations and their stakeholders. Um, and as you pointed out. It's not about, you know, next generation firewall. It's not about endpoint discovery response, um, security uh, related technologies, servers, laptops, routers, that kind of thing. Um, certainly those exist. We know that. Um, and there's literally hundreds of thousands of choices. But but this report really presents kind of a mindset change, um, integrating and improving collaboration between historically segmented and siloed networking and security teams and specifically collaboration and the value that that collaboration can bring to an organization. And, and you know, once that happens, um, visibility aids security by sharing information that, as we've talked about several times before, that information, Bob, is already on the network. And whether that comes through device discovery, issue detection, contextual information, um, performance impacts, um, audit and compliance uh, support, all of those kinds of things, all of that translates into faster awareness, faster assessment response, and remediation. And, and that's why this Forrester report is really interesting. Well, and I, I'm glad you mentioned the audit and compliance. We're really probably not going to go down there so much, but 
Uh, there was uh, some new regulations uh, from the U.S. government. I've seen some in different vertical industries where just knowing what is on your network is now becoming a security requirement. You have to have that kind of visibility, that audit. And um, I remember about four or five years ago when this would come up, a lot of people said, what, you know, we don't have a refrigerator with, um, you know, a, a terminal in it, you know, a workstation built into the door. We don't have, you know, a Nest thermostat controlling our offices. And it's like, guys, you're thinking of all the new IoT stuff. Think about the other single purpose devices you've had on your, your computer. Have you ever heard of things like printers? Printers, mm-hmm. you know, were just a very basic thing. And I still, to this day, when uh, somebody starts talking to me about their email security, occasionally I've been able to go take a document that they shared in confidence in that report, go to their copier and f- and email it to myself from their copy machine. They don't even think of those kinds of things. Um, and, and this is where I think in the last few years, and this report in particular, the awareness that there's a lot of stuff on our on our computers. When I and when I normally say there's more devices than there are users, I say, well, yeah, because everybody's got their phone. Forget the phone. There are switches. There are so many just network devices. And then how many of us have a key card, you know, or they have security cameras. Those are all digital systems. They're using the network, which means they could be used by the bad guys. And this has happened. I mean, companies have seen seen those kinds of breaches where uh, those things have been uh, been compromised and then used as a stepping stool to take them elsewhere. But still, all these tools, they're so focused on Active Directory. And this is, again, why I really wanted to get into this. Almost all the security tools, when you start evaluating, yeah, but I don't just want IP addresses. I want to know the user. You know, I want to know which user got the virus. It's like, if you're waiting for your endpoints that a user is assigned to to get the malware, you may have missed the first five, six stages as it was entering, penetrating, compromising, and then moving laterally through your network until it finally landed on a server or something like that. You missed it as it came in a back door. And it's just, it's crazy um, how they do that. So, you know, what does the Forrester report have to say about the potential for correlating? Let's, let's stick with users for a moment because a single user may now move across multiple devices. Um, I get up in the morning and I check my mail. Uh, somebody sent me an attachment. I may click on that link, which takes me maybe to a Google Drive, and I download the attachment. I'm taking a look at it real quick just so that I'm prepared for that call that I'm barely going to get to the office in time for. Um, or if I'm working from home, I'm barely going to have my shirt on. I'll still be in my pajama bottoms. But before I get on camera, I just want to take a look at it. But I'm not actually going to go into the office and read it there because I got my phone, right? I can look at it here. Then I get in there and now I'm interacting with the same data on a different device. So how does this network visibility help connect all this data across all the different devices that a user would have? Yeah, no, that's a great question and some some really good um, real world kind of use cases. Um, and and the, the good news is, is that DNS, DHCP, IPAM metadata including DHCP data sets, you know, MAC addresses, um, devices, types, operating system information, current historical IPs, 
um, their locations, the, the user details, um, network and physical locations, and more, all of this stuff give you the contextual intelligence that you really need for you know faster and more informed and impactful response. So the fact that you can see all of that stuff, that you can get that forensic level data, the DHCP fingerprinting data, um, really helps, I think, to be able to correlate user activity regardless of what device they may be on. Well, and that would also extend to like the BYOD or even non-user devices, right? Oh yeah, for sure. Um, you know, you could go in and set up alerts um, to detect malicious activity. Um, you can profile devices, you can look at user uh, activity. Um, you can set, um, typically these alerts can start with an IP address, but then think about enriching all of that um, with metadata and adding context for your SIM and SOAR platforms and any other kind of security ecosystem integrations that you may have. Like you could, you could actually trigger a vulnerability scan of a BYOD device um, connected to a command and control server, for example, or you could quarantine um, an infected device with a network access control policy that's based on ransomware detection. So it's correlating those threats to those types of devices, whether BYOD or non-user. And uh, you pointed out, you know, what if something's unmanaged and you can kind of get in behind where, where nobody's really paying attention to it? That's really important. So being able to correlate all of that together and see, again, it's about seeing the information on the network. Well, I think, you know, this is a good time to, to remind everybody that, you know, okay, original malware, you know, was a executable. They would trick you to download it. Um, it would be on a bulletin board system or attached to an email. You clicked on it and it did its thing. So the delivery of the malware, the malware payload, all of that was in one file. Then they got smart when people started filtering, saying, hey, you know, we won't allow attachments over a certain size. That was one of the early filters. No email attachments over a certain size because any malware was, you know, pretty big. Um, and so, or websites, when you would go to a website and it would try to download a script, there were a lot of filters that they didn't tell people, but that was one of their triggers that, well, a reasonable JavaScript would only be this big. So if you get something too big, it must be a piece of malware embedded in a website. So based on size, they started to filter those things. Then the bad guys got smart and said, okay, we're just going to do a downloader, a small little piece of code that really doesn't do much that you would consider bad. It's so innocent and it only triggers one other download or leads you to a couple links. And that's all it does. Very innocent stuff that a lot of other things do that are legitimate. So they would put those in there, but then instead of just delivering the payload, which was the early stage, they did it in two steps. Now they've gotten into multi-stage stuff. And the thing I like here is you can get the same, go to the same malicious website. And if you go on your iPhone, it will know that's an iPhone and it'll then look back and say, okay, what malware do I need to understand what vulnerabilities I can take advantage of on this iPhone? And it'll then install that. But if it was an Android, it downloads a different thing. And if it's on your laptop and you're running a Mac laptop, it'll run something different. You run on a Windows. It examines your environment, downloads tools, starts probing. So if you're using different tools, it could actually end up triggering different things on each one. Uh, you gave the example of ransomware, of just something going back to a CNC server, maybe monitoring communications or something. You may end up with both because you used 
multiple devices, multiple environments to communicate to it. It's, it's amazing. But now we get to this case uh, where I mentioned that it's so little that it didn't really set off an automated response, like you said, triggering a vulnerability scan or anything like that. But this data, this is still something an analyst who's just suspicious and wants to look into it. This is the kind of data suspicious uh, analysts would kill for, wouldn't they? Absolutely. You know, to be to be effective, you know, you think of all of the attacks that are coming and all the ways that people can attack and, um, you know, throwing more people at a problem is, is not going to, it's not scalable. It doesn't work. And to be effective, analysts really need that endpoint discovery. They need the contextual data from the network, um, from DHCP, next generation firewall, secure web gateways, the authentication data, they need the log files. And the thing is, is that collecting this information and correlating it and doing the investigation can be complex. It can be time consuming. And you know, the longer it takes, the more exposure that you're facing. And, and that's why when you have a system that can actually, um, reveal to you the DDI data that's available. And we've talked about this many times, the um, MAC and IP addresses, the user details, the DHCP fingerprinting, um, when they appeared, where they've been, you know, what are the historical IPs? Um, again, all of this context, all this very, very deep, rich contextual information can really streamline incident response and help enable um, accurate risk assessments and, and event prioritization. And that's really important for the analysts. They don't have a lot of time. There's so much stuff to see. Um, how do they manage it all? And if you have a way to pull all of that information in and give you the context, it makes your job better. Yeah, I can see that. And of course, you know, I, I like the comment you meant about the historical stuff because I hadn't I even thought about that earlier. We've talked about a user going from one device to another. Can you track the user? But that BYOD device is probably an ideal example. Every time they they leave the office and come back, they reconnect to the the network. And depending on your time to live data, it could set give them a new IP address. And so they could have a, had how many different IP addresses over the last month. And the infection, what's again, you know, depending on whose report you want to uh, uh, to uh, believe in. They still say today that, you know, the the average threat is detected between 100 and 200 days. So I've seen someone go like 203 days uh, later before they detect their average infection. Um, right. I'd like to see the mean number because I'm average scares me. I'm hoping the mean number is really low and that that big number average is just because there's one or two that get really bad. But uh, yeah, it scares me that they they don't have if they don't have that historical context. How do they figure out where it came in originally and prevent it from happening again? Otherwise, they're just stamping out fires without knowing the source. Yeah, exactly. Now, the report um, didn't really get into industrial control systems and operational technology. So this is, again, one of the things we're doing here on the podcast, try to go beyond the report specifically. But it sounds like all of the same stuff would apply to those environments. And that's a big push right now. Um, I've been talking to uh, customers and uh, prospects and actually some just event uh, companies that want to do a lot more about sharing ICS and operational technology, OT technology uh, scenarios and, and data about securing them, uh, particularly as we're worried about infrastructure 
uh, being compromised and stuff like that. So I'm assuming that, I mean, even if I'm running a, a proprietary protocol, I still need, I have IP addresses, I still have device data, you're still collecting all of that, right? Oh, absolutely. I think in some instances too, you can look at, you know, extensible attributes. These are like meta tags. Um, and we've we've talked to some, about some of this stuff um, already a little bit on this call and on previous ones as well. But, you know, on the operational technology side, those are systems obviously used to manage industrial operations as opposed to administrative, you know, um, operations. And so in there we find, you know, production line management, mining operations, oil and gas. Um, and, and we know something about oil and gas. We have some uh, pretty substantial um, experiences with folks that are global that set up um, these these devices all over the place for monitoring. You also have industrial control systems for monitoring control of mission critical um, type processes. Those are high availability. They have to be up and running. Um, it could be, you know, um, oil refinery. It could be power consumption, electricity grids, alarm systems. Um, it could be HVAC, smart sensors. It could be elevator controls. There's a host of other IoT devices for industrial manufacturing and operational processes. And, and you know, again, it's really important to be able to have those secured. Um, one thing that um, obviously wasn't in, uh, to your point, that wasn't in this report with SCADA, you know, the supervisory control and, and data acquisition systems that provide really a GUI for operators to observe the status of a system and receive any alarms really that are indicating an out of band kind of operation or a system adjustment that's needed to manage the processes under control. I think you might have some additional insights on that even, right, Bob? Oh yeah, actually I've been working with uh, the SANS uh, organizations actually recently put out a report on ICS and OT uh, environments. Um, we didn't uh, have them here uh, on our show. I was actually on their event that they held uh, several, about two weeks ago actually, wasn't that far. Um, but they were talking about, you know, that even a system like SCADA that everybody tends to think of, okay, yeah, but that's a proprietary environment, proprietary protocol, and blah, blah, blah. But it's still, to be effective, these systems, there are generic standards for communicating between systems. There are uh, historians and, and other uh, applications or databases that are used that other things can talk to and get involved with and interact with and, and basically integrate with them. And so if they can't attack the SCADA system directly, they'll attack these other things, breach those. Um, I mean, think of uh, the Stuxnet viruses. I probably should have looked that up beforehand, but it seems to me that's got to be like 15, 20 years old. And they got that into a bunch of centrifuges across the network. But hey, that was proprietary. They obviously didn't go and install it on every single um, centrifuge itself. They went to a central control system. They then got it to spread from there, just like they would inside our own, our own company networks. Forget SCADA, forget all these proprietary ICS systems. Even on your own network, they don't go directly to the server holding the database. They get on one system, then they move around until they find the path to the thing they want. And if they're not sure what they want, which is in a lot of cases, they're just looking because they know there's got to be something valuable here and they're just going to go crawl around your network until they find the cool stuff. 
at that point, you know, it, that that's the same scenario that's going to happen in an industrial control system. They'll come in on a standard system. So even though uh, right now the biggest thing they're saying that, you know, you need to do if you've got an ICS or an OT is make it a separate network. So, you know, there's people that the the business runs on this network and our other system runs on that. Um, the, uh, oh, I'm blanking. The, the big oil and gas breach that happened last year, uh, the pipeline, something pipeline. It's Monday, I can tell. Uh, but their, uh, uh, their big thing was that they shut down all of their systems because they weren't sure. They'd found it on the business side, but they weren't sure if it had crossed over to the operational technologies network. Because even though they had technically met the requirement of isolating them, they knew that they still talked. They had to get billing information as, as gas flowed down one pipe and somebody took it out. They needed that sensor data passed over to the business side so they knew who to bill. So none of these systems are totally isolated and you've got to have something, you know, to, to protect them from that lateral movement that malware is going to do if they want to infect your SCADA, ICS, or other OT technology. Yeah, I think you were talking about uh, Colonial, right? Yeah, Colonial, Colonial pipeline. pipeline. That was it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we've recently had an election. I'm feeling very colonial, but couldn't think of the word. But um, I did want to get back to the report here in that there was a uh, statistic that they had in here about how how people felt about having better network visibility. I mean, imagine this data. Everybody's got DNS. Everybody's got DHCP. Um, but are they using it or do they feel they really need to have better visibility? Yeah, no, that's that's one of the key questions that was raised by this primary um, Forrester report. Um, you know, so so basically they um, surveyed 423 global IT leaders. And of those respondents, 81% of them actually agreed that visibility isn't just synonymous with security, but also with efficiency and performance. And, and you know, obviously we've talked about this before, discovery and visibility, seeing and knowing exactly what's on your network. And if you can do that, then you have an improved security response. You can also do other networking things like manage capacity. Um, and so this whole notion of network visibility aiding security, um, I think is something that this report is really bringing out that you know there's there's an improvement in general security and response the more network data the more in, enriched metadata that you can bring in and that actually helps in a variety of ways um, not only in terms of, um, of visibility but automating other functions like audit and compliance and making sure that your network is up and running and performing um, in, in the ways that you're expecting it to. So, you know, it's, it's again, um, driving this combination of network data and how that actually is uh, informing security to be more, uh, uh, you know, faster responding and, and able to help stakeholders protect their, um, their organizations. Now, in a recent episode, we had uh, somebody else from InfoBlocks, uh, David Seaman, who has been working with application visibility and discovery, which kind of takes this same discussion and goes up a layer that just knowing, as you said, being able to discover, see, and know what is on my network, 
what is happening on my network? Um, do I have users? Because when I do bring in like BYOD and those kinds of devices, I now need to know what they're using my network for. Um, if I see a lot of encrypted activity that I'm not allowed to peer into from any of those devices, is that a red flag I need to be aware of? Um, one of the things that he mentioned was like VPN use uh, is something that uh, his his solution would monitor because not all VPNs are made you know equal. Um, there was actually a Consumer Reports review recently of of home and personal VPNs. And over half of those got very low grades for um, security because they might say that, oh, yeah, our company is um, incorporated in, you know, Delaware or Virginia in the United States. But the fact is their data center is in the Soviet Union or in China and things like that, which for many companies and many businesses that's somebody you don't want your data going through in case it is ever exposed. Um, so knowing the applications it's running, how do you know the application if you don't even know the phone that is on there? Um, so having all that device visibility is really, uh, really key. Now, I want to let our listeners know that this is a two-part series um, because uh, today we're going through some of the challenges that the report highlights and we'll be coming back to uh, talk about um, their solutions and recommendations for 2023. Um, but you actually started to touch on one. So we'll go ahead and wrap up a little bit on that where you were talking about how this network visibility helps the security team, but you have said it also helps the networking team. So the same data is being used by both security and networking to on one, to improve their security response, but on two, to manage capacity. Um, so, I mean, like if they have devices coming on that are all of a sudden not just an application that the security people care about, but it could be an application generating a lot of activity, a lot of traffic. I think you and I talked one time about um, security cameras that um, uh, somebody brought into a company. Uh, they, they left their kids at a daycare and they brought into the company a, a special little monitor that they've been given by the, the the daycare center says, here, you can set this on your desk. It'll connect to your company's Wi-Fi and you can watch your child throughout the day. And so now all of a sudden you have one person streaming and then a, a neighbor in another cube saw that and said, that's cool. And they found out about it. Next thing you know, they had like 50 or 60 of these devices around their offices and a third of their bandwidth was gone in just a couple of weeks. <laughs> Because they didn't know, not only did they not know about the, the application, but they didn't even know that the devices were on there. They had no idea that there were new monitors streaming data all over their network. Um, this is just crazy to me. I can't imagine a networking person being at all comfortable not knowing what's connected to their network. Yeah, and exactly. And, and so being able to monitor and track all of that um, core data and especially from a traffic management perspective, um, it would certainly give you insights as to what's going on on the network for sure. Um, but the, recall that story, a pretty interesting story, actually. Well, and for capacity planning, you know, normally you see slight trends that you can monitor. This one, of course, was a spike. But there are trends when we have people that are starting to use new applications, just there, there's just a new app that a particular department has decided to accept. 
that that's going to be the way we're going to collaborate or share information. And so those kinds of spikes are going to happen because of apps as well as devices. And um, the security teams don't know about that unless they get access to that network data, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that there's tools out there, obviously reporting tools that, um, you know, based on what you know today and what the capacities are, you know, you can look forward and say, okay, well, you know, are there times when we think that our resources are going to kind of run out? Um, and, you know, that comes up sometimes also in mergers and acquisitions. You know, you were talking about the daycare scenario, but there are more planable things like what happens if you have a, a merger and acquisition um, and you know that at a certain time, you know, things are going to cut over and all of a sudden you might double or triple or whatever the number might be of um requirements and resources on the network. And it's really important to have visibility and to plan. Um, and that's where the DDI metadata and and some of the reporting tools and the, the algorithms that you can use to um, do reporting analytics. There's lots of tools out there, visualization tools um, that, that can really be a help in planning and looking at that. Well, we haven't gotten to a lot of stats in the report. I know we had a lot of them in our notes to go over, but um, statistically speaking, I believe that half the time when we have you on the show, your episodes end up being split into two because there's just so much we get into. So I do want to uh, thank you for your time, but unfortunately we run out of time and we will do a part two. So thank you for uh, being with us, Bob. Appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Great to be here. And uh, yeah, this is a really a good report. Um, it, it's again, it's a primary research report that I think opens the 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 issue of kind of changing mindsets and how can how can previously siloed teams kind of work together, uh, both in terms of tools that they might buy together and and at the same time, you know how they can change their workflows and their processes to collaborate more for the benefit of the organization and and so look forward to coming back and and exploring some of that with you as we. Uh, as we look to the future. Thanks again, Bob. Appreciate it. Thank you. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for your time today. Join us next time as we continue our efforts to help you stay on top of cybersecurity and ahead of cyber risks on Threat Talk.